Hi and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Port Kelly and this week I'm joined by Ulster-born Glasgow fan Mark Anderson, the founder of the Pro 14 Banter Group. Hi Padraig, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, it's great to have a chat to you at last on your show. Ushin is having weeks off now as he pleases the last while, so it's great that you're able to step in and fill his shoes. No problem, it's a pleasure to be here. Do you mind talking about the Pro 14 Banter, what you're about, before we get into the podcast? Of course, yeah. Um, we're only a year old. Um, it was an idea I'd been sitting on for a while. I'd sat in a number of different forums for different rugby teams within the Pro 14. And I, I like to see, purely out of nosiness, what was going on with other teams. So um, I just I thought of a good idea to try and make one forum that we could all join and get a bit of crack going, if you like. And one thing I do love about rugby is the fact that we can meet away fans and, you know, have a bit of banter and crack with opposing fans. I think that's something unique to rugby. So the idea was just to replicate that online. And I think it's worked to some success. There's been a lot of lessons over the year. Obviously, you can't control people's sort of filter online. That's been quite difficult. So sometimes the rugby ethics don't carry over onto social media. But that's something that we're working on. So we started off with a couple of hundred members and just this week, I think we're fast approaching 8,000 members. And I'm glad to say that we represent uh, Italian teams, South African teams, as well as Irish, Wales and uh, Scotland teams. I'm a member and it's great. All good forums need that kind of care and love from the top to make sure everyone feels like they can have their opinion, but at the same time isn't really insulting to everybody else. And that's the trick is to try and uh, get the offence out of it. So we try to give people like a, a free run but at the same time, just make sure nobody gets offended. But you reserve the right to be offended. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. The Second Row Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, all good podcasting apps. So please rate, like, subscribe, and tell a friend, share, all those things. This week, we're discussing the final round of Pro 14 games. That's round 21. But first of all, we take a look at the news from the rugby world and... In international rugby news, the women's Babas beat America in what I think is a great move for the women's game, having the Babas playing as well. Yeah, it's great to see women's rugby being reporting on. These games used to fly us by, but um, if you're ever uh, stuck for a weekend with no rugby, I strongly advise you to to get into women's rugby. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. World Rugby have approved a new fives tournament, which will be trialled in London later this year. This is the brainchild of Ben Ryan, who managed... Fiji to Olympic gold another version of rugby yeah I think we need to get the sevens um, settled first um, I, I always find the sevens quite disjointed over the year and you're searching around to try and find a good sevens tournament when it's on and trying to follow it and the programming I think they need to market that right before we introduce yet another format of rugby it's not a bad idea but let's get sevens right first Another format might just dilute everything else a bit and not have the desired effect. Yeah, perhaps a diversion tactic by World Rugby after their last horror show of trying to create this new league system. Don't mention the war. Don't mention the war. (laughs) (laughs) Also in the international sphere, former French captain Fabien Galtier will succeed Jack Brunet as the French head coach after this year's World Cup. (laughs) That's a poison chalice. Whatever he does, he's got to improve French rugby is definitely in need for some improvement and let's hope Fabian can bring it. Well, he can't do any worse, really, can he? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. In weird French news, Bastereau signs for Rugby New York on loan after the World Cup. So that's a, a January to June stint in 2020. That's mental. 
American rugby is grasping, trying to get the big stars. Similar to what they've done in the soccer, you know, they'll go around trying to sign any big name to to give a bit of credence to the American league. I hope it takes off over there and I hope it goes well for him. Like There's such an untapped market and potential that America could become a giant of rugby many years down the line. And the news more closer to home, well, to the Pro 14 anyway, Kings have signed Johnny Sexton's younger brother, Jerry. That's a brilliant signing. It's going to give commentators an absolute headache um, getting to say Sexton in a, in a South African game. I wondered where Jerry Sexton had been. So it's going to be amazing to see him in the Pro 14. And we're all going to look forward for that Kings-Leinster matchup, brother against brother. I would pay one, good money to see both brothers against each other. And two, Johnny Sexton playing against the Kings, which I really doubt would happen. I know that sounds really bad. <laughs> Well, that, that's it. That's what you could call it strength and depth, but I think I think it must be that that, that has to happen at least once, anyway. Yeah. Last but certainly not least, there was a smart mouth guard test at Judgment Day designed to monitor concussion. Yeah, that's an absolutely fantastic idea if they can get it right. I hope they don't have the problems that Apple Watch have had with their watch. If people were thinking they were having heart attacks because the ECG machine was going off. But I think it's a fantastic idea. If they get it right, then it's going to help player welfare. And anything that helps player welfare has got to be a good thing. Definitely. I'm looking forward to seeing the results as they unfold. And speaking of Judgment Day, let's get into the action. And Dragons and Scarlets kicked off the final day of rugby. And what a game this was. Dragons winning 34 points to 32. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, I thought Dragons were just going to fade away. It's been a woeful season for them. Everything has been going well for rugby. I did not see this coming at all. And talking of Judgment Day, I'm absolutely jealous of that setup. It was fantastic. And the build-up and atmosphere straight away for this game before even the ball was kicked set it up to be a fantastic game of rugby. Yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. And having that many rugby supporters from all the different teams in one venue just leads to a great atmosphere and almost a party atmosphere on top of the tense atmosphere with teams needing to win matches yeah the principality stadium is is one of my favorite venues as well uh, the roof closed uh, with all the different supporters in the one stadium it made for a real festival atmosphere and i think that sort of rugby festival atmosphere should be replicated across um, all of the countries we could do it in ireland scotland italy south africa Here's hoping, and to be honest, a first win for Dragons at Judgment Day added to that great atmosphere they had there. The only thing that added any more atmosphere to that was the lights on the goalpost. Did you see those? They were brilliant. I can't wait for them to be introduced to every ground. This should be a thing. Just so simple. The only thing that could improve them would be to have lightsaber sounds. <laughs> a smash for a a smash for a green and a, a dosh or something for a, a red. <laughs> As someone misses. <laughs> Dragons started this game with real intensity. They looked like the team that needed a win, whereas Scarlets were the ones who needed the win. Yeah, I was slightly confused to who needed what. I had to actually go back and check what they were playing for because I honestly thought Dragons would have written this off. And Scarlets just seemed to sit back and let Dragons come at them. But what I would say is is that Scarlet's just made too many errors in the beginning. They looked nervous. They almost choked at the very beginning. Their final pass wasn't sticking and they were just knock-ons galore. And with Dragons not competing at the breakdown, it just left numbers up all the time. Yeah, but I think the problem that Dragons made was is they should have been ruthless. I think they were surprised by how much Scarlet's let them into the game. And I think at that point, Dragons should have been absolutely ruthless and put them to the sword. 
you could definitely see it was a team low on confidence. Any other team takes Garrett to the cleaners in that situation, but just Dragons aren't used to being there or of having that type of lead. Sure, look at Amos for that yellow card. Is that the, the deliberate knock-on? Well, that's what White House called a deliberate lock-on. I honestly think that ball goes towards his feet and backwards. I think I have to agree with you there. It was the momentum of the game. The ball never went forward. It was still going uh, backwards. If anything, he interfered with play, but you know that was a, perhaps a penalty only, I would suggest. Well, you can knock the ball backwards. There's nothing wrong with that. So he can interfere with play as long as the ball goes the right direction from his hand. I think that's going to be a theme throughout the rest of the games as we talk about it, the knock-on penalties. I think that Simbin for that offence, especially when there's an overlap, is worthy. It's killing the game completely and we want tries, we want open play. Yeah, I don't agree with the Simbinning. To me, a deliberate knock-on is something a little bit more deliberate than a ball coming off one hand. Um, I think there has to be seen to be pure motion of your hand on the ball, trying to move it in a different direction. When it's ball-to-hand contact, I think that's I think it's harsh if you get Simbin for that. But Scarlet's use that extra man to their advantage and their try was inevitable exactly and at this point I thought I had nailed man of the match on so early on in the game I thought it was going to be Ken Owens the the industrious work with him through all the phases and like you say the try was inevitable and suddenly Dragons make more mistakes the penalty count rises you just have the sense of dread I mean I think the McNichol try was absolutely brilliant but then these lights on the post come into play and we've seen the red light come off the post from Halfpenny's conversion attempt, which, to be honest, we didn't know at the time was going to prove crucial at the end. He hasn't been as good from boot since he's come back from his concussion layoff. Even his setup doesn't look as calm. He looks very restless. He he doesn't look as focused. So I don't know what's going on there. I think that's something for uh, Mr. Halfpenny to work out before the World Cup. And he has one more game for Scarlets to help work them out as well in that European playoff. Exactly, exactly. The- who thought being fourth would be crucial? I'm telling you, this conference system actually works on so many levels in that sense. But Scarlets really did grow into that first half. And Dragons, once again, had a shotgun aimed at their foot. And they just continuously shot themselves over and over again. What an absolute start to the second half. Dragons really started strongly again. And Moriarty nearly crossing the whitewash. I think he should have been given that try by a fingertip. Um, I think it was called a no try. But to me, when you look at it, he did for a split second have both hands on the ball and place it down. But the referee decided that he didn't have it uh, under control. If that was a Leinster or a Glasgow or a Munster, that's a try. I think sometimes the lesser team just doesn't get the look of the ref in those 50-50 calls. Exactly right. But then the next try, the Dixon's try, there was absolutely no doubt about that. It was a fantastic link-up. Wayne Wright, Moriarty, Amos. I think it was the first try he's had in three years. Yeah, and when those three players got on the ball, like Dragons looked really dangerous. And they got another try two seconds later off a good mall and then a quick tap and go. Exactly, and I was wondering, where was that rugby from Dragons all season? Um, And they left it to the last minute in a game that actually meant nothing for them. They played some of their best rugby this season. The shackles are off. They had nothing to fear last game of the season. It's great to just see them go with it. And then there was that hidden yellow card. Did you actually see what happened there? I have no idea what happened. Did you see what happened? No, I don't think anybody saw what happened. I was trying to pick it up on the commentary. I didn't even get the name of the chap who went in the bin. Apparently he went in from the side after a line-out. Nobody saw it because there was a, a substitution happening at the same time. Just 
crazy stuff. And the just game got crazier and crazier as it went on. Evans got an intercept try like very soon after that. Absolute perfection. I mean, he was on to it in a second. He he started his run. He seen it coming and he read it like a leaflet and made it count. Absolute perfection. What doesn't help though that dragons cannot defend like at all. Their numbers when there's a line break just disintegrate. There's no matching. There's no heads up of who's on who. It's just crazy stuff. There was a little bit of magic there. Uh, Ken Owens, he, he managed to take three players off the field, but still got an offload. What an absolute legend. Yeah, he was on course to get mad at the match if Scarlett's had won, for sure. It's a pity a losing team doesn't get mad at the match, but Ken Owens had it nailed on for me. That's the reason why he's, he, he's internationally one of Wales's top players. But uh, it was nice to see a big lump like him doing some magic like that. But again, it showed a fantastic team performance. Something that we've seen lacking in the Scarlets the rest of the season. But what a flurry of a finish to that game. Dragons with a try. The TMO took an age, but for me, he got the right call. Then Patchell with a missed drop goal. Like, that's crazy stuff. Yeah, but I thought Patchell, see if he'd have taken the drop kick one phase earlier, I think it would have been over. He probably could have argued they could have kept going through the phases and, you know, gone for the five stroke seven points. But personally, I think maybe he should have took the drop kick a phase earlier. But, you know, the look on his face when it didn't go over. He didn't know at the time, but I think he's lucky that Edinburgh didn't do the business later on in the day. That's right. But um, he's got to be proud of himself. They were, uh, it was a fantastic game and a, a cracking opening to the day. And if you look forward to when Scarrets will be playing again, it was great to see they were able to capitalise on Dragon's mistakes. And they really didn't give up. But they should have won this game convincingly with the possession and chances they had exactly right i think scarlets can have a long look at themselves i expect to see a lot of bigger things from scarlets in that playoff against ospreys they should need to come out of the blocks and be a bit more ruthless from the start there was parts of it in there today we'll move on to zebra v benetton benetton needing a win to make history and history they made an 11 point to 25 victory over zebra the first italian team to get into knockout stages of the pro 14 pro 12 and they've made Heineken Cup Rugby off their own back for the first time. This is what films are made of. Exactly. This this is dream stuff for the, for Italian rugby. It's been the great sort of paradox of this year where club rugby is not representing how the international teams are doing. Zebra, by the way, in Parma is one of my favourite away fixtures. If anybody can get there, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. It's just a lovely location. And Zebra, to their credit, actually came out the stronger scoring the first points i completely agree i mean i i quite like watching zebra because they always come out of the blocks and what i'm watching with zebra is as they go on their good play it's extending into the game it used to be they'd start off and have a good first 10 minutes then it's 15 minutes 20 minutes they actually extended it throughout the game today and i don't think they ever capitulated at any point they never once lost their heads but i think benetton just had too much for them yeah it was interesting to watch how Benetton started. We talked about Scarlets earlier and how they had a, a bit of a shaky start. Well, the same was replicated with Benetton. The teams that had something to play for, they looked nervous and Benetton were no different. And it took to that 20-minute mark where Tommaso Allen with a magic chip to break the deadlock and Marici goes in under the post. It was nice to see Allen back to his best. He, he read that line and he knew exactly where he was putting the ball and he knew exactly knew where his teammates were. Magic. 
Have to question the cover though. Two players just stopped and almost let him walk through. Just smash the guy. If he passed the ball away, that's fine, but at least you've done your job. But what I would say is, good on Zebra for digging in and not letting Benetton get any traction. At that point, I expected Benetton to pull away. It doesn't really help though. Benetton just made a meal out of everything <laughs> like on 30 minutes a silly float pass that gets intercepted by Padovani who had a really good game but then he messes up the opportunity for Zebra by kicking the ball away there had to have been better options than that yeah exactly and I think that showed us that Benetton they, they were rattled when Zebra came back at them but they really really need to do better than this in the next round and they got that kind of killer blow try for me just before half time with Halafihi got in the corner Benetton were just going through the phases it was almost inevitable they deserved it though it was hard work and again Zebra did not make it easy for them and this was the sort of point in a game where I used to see in Zebra just sort of give up and capitulate but they didn't yeah and there was a lovely moment from Mbanda for Zebra where he was chased the kick through saw Alan in the air and he just drops to his knees because he knew well he'd be in the bin you hear a lot in commentary of, what could he do? He was running for the ball as well. Well, he can do that. He can have pitch awareness. And I'd like to see more players do things like that in those situations. It looked like something out of the Matrix, the way he went, fell to his knees instantly and bent back and missed the player. Uh, that was very good. And it was nice to see the commentators actually mention that. But Benetton were still very nervy, but they continued their smart play that was, seems to be the theme of their season. And they took points on about 56 minutes. But this is, you know, so important. It's Every game for them now is a final. They got two more tries in this game. Negri got over the line. It took them a few extra phases than it should have, but it was a good score. And Ione, what a player is he? Oh, fantastic. To, being, to, to take that try in the corner to secure the bonus point, um, it, it was superb. Like, Zebra did get their consolation, but they never really looked like ever getting anything from this game. They didn't need to. They were playing for pride. But looking forward for Benetton, their defence is actually very good. They're very strong in the tackle. They are indeed. And I think um, Benetton just need a bit of belief. They need to know that their defence is good um, and you know let the defence do their work. What I would like to see going forward is Benetton showing a more of an attacking flair. It's there. We've seen glimpses of it. And, you know, look at Tommaso Allen. He should be conducting his forwards like an orchestra. And doing that, they'll be able to hurt Munster. And speaking of Allen, he really can't afford to leave his kicking boots at home in the quarterfinal against Munster. As little chance a lot of people will give them, they'll have no chance if that happens. Exactly. But they did what was needed to be done. And like you said earlier, this is history in the making and it's the stuff that dreams are made of. We'll move on to one of the two dead robbers of the weekend. Cheetahs hosted Southern Kings. And the only thing on the line here was, would Max Wanney break the amount of tries scored in a season record? And in a game that had nine tries for Cheetahs, he didn't score one. <laughs> well, you could probably call that a damp squib, but this was one of the games where I thought the Southern Kings, they've taken a couple of scalps this year, uh, one being my own favourite team. I thought this was another one for Southern Kings to come out and have a, a sting in the tail right at the end of the season. A lot of talk about the investment in the Southern Kings. Well, let's see what you've got. Me and Oshin have been screaming throughout the year. They just need a good 10 and to not give away as many penalties and they're actually a decent enough team they actually started the stronger here but their scrum went to bits exactly they were it was creaking all over the shop and you know there was times there when they could have got the traction in the game early on but like you say their scrum was was too weak and and that seemed to uh to wake and cheat us up in a game that had nine tries it's weird that the talking point is the king's discipline 
a stupid yellow card for Rocco for pushing a player into the hoarding. He is very lucky he didn't actually make contact with the barrier. He was just warned about 10 minutes earlier for doing a, a judo throw on someone, almost like a neck roll. And then he does something even worse and gets away with a yellow. I'd say if the person he threw hit the wall, he was gone. I don't think the ref would have had any time for it whatsoever. But they gave away so many penalties in this game. How did they not concede another yellow card? Exactly. I'm surprised we didn't see a red in that game. But the cheaters just exposed them and just were scoring for fun at the end of the day. I didn't think I'd see it on that day, but how did a team have worse defence than the Dragons? <laughs> exactly. They just didn't. They, they just looked lost. There were 15 individuals. There didn't seem to be any format or any formation in their defence. And when you have players like Maxwane, Mayer, Showman, these guys can pull the strings, create space and score tries. And that they did. And the only way that Kings ever looked like getting anything from the game was when Cheetahs switched off completely. But then they got up back and they just put the Southern Kings to the sword. If it was for the Cheetahs' inability to hold a pass or just losing the head with trying to throw fancy offloads, they could have had easily 80 to 100 points. But the drama was unfolding in Cardiff. This back and forth of games was great. And Cardiff hosted Ospreys in an incredibly tense game. Ospreys coming out on top, 23 points to 26. This was an absolutely fantastic game, but one that I found very hard to watch because yet again, uh, Cardiff had a kit very similar to the opposition players. But I think teams need to have a third strip that is hideously sort of uh, a bright pink or bright yellow or bright orange so these things don't happen. (laughs) That's fair. One of the big talking points before this game, though, was Gareth Anscombe. Cardiff win, the team he's playing for next season, Ospreys, are knocked out of the Champions Cup or don't have a chance to get into the Champions Cup. And if Ospreys win, the team he's going to, how much part did he play in it? So we were talking earlier about uh, movie scripts and here we had another one. Who was the first to score a try? Anscombe. A sublimely finished team try. But Anscombe was the guy to get his name on the scoreboard first. And Cardiff have been doing that all season. They're so strong off first phase set piece ball. If they get the ball clean to their nines hands, they're guaranteed making 20 yards, if not scoring a try. The thing is though, they did need the win. Ospreys only needed a draw, but they did seem to be forcing things at times. Yeah, I think we're still suffering from a bit of a hangover from when all all the chat about these mergers. So I think what we were seeing today was Welsh teams playing with flair and passion and Ospreys definitely turned up. They did. They were really physical. I'm I'm such a fan of Tipperick and Alwyn Jones. They had good games, but they didn't imprint themselves on the game like Nick Williams did. But it did end up being a very cagey affair, though, um, because I don't think anybody wanted to make a mistake. It really was a real back-and-forth affair. Osprey scoring a try off a scrum, questions over the card of defence. But the points went over and back all the way through the game. And the Ospreys looked like they were taking control from very early on. But then here we had it again. There was another deliberate knock-on. And that was just really silly. He knew what he was doing. That, for me, was a yellow card. And straight from the corner flying-out, Ospreys turn over possessions. But the Blues didn't give up on the ball going awry. And then they had the ability to take the ball up and score. It just shows that hookers should not give up on a bad throw. It was the Cardiff hookers tackled that spilled the ball. And I think there was like four Cardiff players ready to capitalise on the, the loose ball. Great to see. But only one try with another eight minutes of a sim bin left. That's not really good enough. 
the way the pendulum was swinging, I really, really did think Cardiff should have done more with being a man up. But Ospreys played territory very well. They were making Cardiff play from their own 22 at best and their own half at worst. And here we go again. Um, we Ospreys had a, another second second yellow for a, yet again a deliberate knock-on, this time on Dan Evans. And Cardiff only get three points from this period. This is a team that won the Challenge Cup last season. How do they not know how to see out a game like this? This is really bad. And I know they had issues earlier on this season of not being able to finish out games. It seems like that's come back to haunt them. But at 23-23, Cardiff are the team that need to win. And they really started to force things from then. But I think it was going to be a bit too late in the day. It really was. Sam Davies getting a penalty in front of the post just to, to make it 26-23. But Blues, looking to get the ball back from that kickoff, they kicked it to Tipperick's pod. You might as well kick it to Alwyn Jones. That ball was never getting dropped and you were never getting hands on it. They're going to be kicking themselves for that, but that's been quite indicative of Blue's season. We look forward to Ospreys taking on Scarlets. I don't know when it's going to happen. I say it might happen after the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup finals. Look at the two performances and look at Ospreys. I'd favour Ospreys. I think Ospreys are in a bit of an ascendancy now. They've had a bit of a savage of a season. Uh, they seem to come good in the end. At times, they did look like they're going to throw it. But when you get Alwyn Wynne Jones on your team, um, it's going to be good. Ulster hosted Leinster in the deadest of dead rubbers, I think. Ulster won 14-13 in a very wet and windy Ravenhill. I've never seen wind like it on the pitch. It was very, very hard to see what the two teams were going to do. It started off being a very, very, very scrappy affair, but I don't think that was all down to the weather. No, like that much change in both teams. There won't be many players who started for Ulster playing next week against Connacht. If any, there'll be very little of the Leinster 23 involved in the Champions Cup final. Like, I don't know how any team was going to get any type of momentum in this game or play any type of fluid rugby. Well, it didn't help that Fergus McFadden should have seen a red at the beginning of the game. It was madness. The assistant referee saw it and tells the referee to go to TMO. But because that big wide angle was all that was there, Clancy says, I can't see where he makes contact. And it gives a penalty only. The guy threw a headbutt. It doesn't matter if he made contact or not. Well, the assistant referee had a very, very clear view. I don't see why he had to go to the TMO. If it's a headbutt, I suggest the contacts to the head. I just think the act of throwing a headbutt should be a red card. Like You, you talk about things that shouldn't happen in rugby, and that's definitely one of them. Exactly. Well, he was lucky to stay on the field. And from that penalty, which should be red, McPhillips kicks the corner and kicks the ball dead. In a game, he'll want to forget quickly. His kicking was really poor. He's a guy I had high hopes for, and if that's what he's showing in training, I'm kind of seeing why he hasn't been playing more. So it was up to Leinster to break the deadlock. A very easy try for them. Uh, they put a few beautiful phases together and Ulster's numbers seem to go out the window. It's just what Leinster do so well. doesn't matter if it's their first 15 or fourth 15. They hold on to the ball and they just always eke yards and draw defenders in. It's actually quite nice to see, if not annoying. But uh, one of my little favourite pl- Ulster players, Shanahan, he had a great response to that and ended up getting bundled over the line. Although he'll probably say it was uh, the strength in his legs. <laughs> but um, he was definitely bundled over the line by his teammates. What I really liked about that, though, he was twice on the shoulder for a pass and recycled the ball and got up and going again. That's great scrum half work. He's not the finished article, but there's something there coaches can work with. Yeah, he put in a shift. He, he had a very, very good game. And it was the perfect response, though, from that try by Leinster, who 
did look like scoring in most attacks, but their accuracy really let them down. It was, but McFadden manages to get into the corner. Burns was the only one from uh, Leicester that seemed to be trying to engineer anything. I do like Burns. He's a really good 10. For me, he stands a bit deep. And, and like when he came off at 44 minutes with Jack McGrath, you can kind of tell these are the guys he wants to give game time to. We're now going to take them off and wrap them in cotton wool. Yeah, and I'm wondering, that this is the point, I think, that Leinster then started losing their discipline. It was penalty after penalty after penalty, and it was only a matter of time until there was a yellow coming. And also then controlled the ball for that 10 minutes. They got their deserved try in the end, but it took ages. Yeah, I think Leinster, they have got their home semi-final. Ulster are now in the quarter-final. So I think that was a good day's work for the Ulster coaches. Probably not a pretty game for us as spectators, but I think the, the coaching staff are going to get a lot out of that game. Especially as Leinster look towards their Champions Cup final. If their defence can hold out like that against Saracens, they're in a good place. But Ulster will have a different 10. They'll actually have a much different team. They showed very little in attack, but I don't think you can read too much into that going forward to next week. What we did see from Ulster is their ability to change a game on the field. I liked how, as a team, they tried different things. I think Leinster, I think there'll be a few different people on the bench now for Leinster, having seen the performances some of the the newbies have put in. Definitely. And we'll move on to a game that was close to your heart. Uh, Glasgow hosted Edinburgh. Simple enough for Glasgow, win and you get an extra week off and a home Pro 14 semi-final. And win ye did. 34 points to 10. Well, this was a game that after the two previous meetings, this was supposed to mean nothing, this game, because the 1872 Cup that is played for between the two sides had already been won by Edinburgh. Edinburgh were one of only two teams to beat Glasgow at Scottsdale this season. So it was a bit of a nervy affair. Like you say, simple. We win this. It doesn't matter what Munster do. Glasgow, I've got a home semi-final. And you were up for this. Like You came out of the blocks early with early points, but the hits in the fence, you set down a marker. Exactly. And that was good to see, considering just before kickoff, we'd learned that Johnny Gray, due to food poisoning, allegedly, wasn't really able to play. But having Fraser Brown as a captain was absolutely fantastic. The defence was just nailed on straight away. Unlike last year, where after Christmas, Glasgow's form started to dip a bit, it seems the Saracens game has given you jolt back into life and you're on the rise now. I think when you lose against a team like Saracens, you have to keep in context, you're losing against one of the best teams in Europe. And I think what Glasgow did was, is they could have easily went away and licked their wounds. They didn't. They took the few positives from that game and built on them. And their season was far from over. And that has made Glasgow hungry. And Glasgow got the first try from some typical Glasgow work, getting the ball out wide. Matuallo with a superb offload. Johnson still had a lot of work to do. Johnson, despite his size, he is an absolute machine and he doesn't know when to stop. And like you say, he had a lot to do, but he did it. And that's becoming the sort of theme of Johnson's play. It was a first half he controlled. That first 15, 20 minutes, it was all Glasgow. Well, a penalty aside. Like, there are so many battles going on here. It was great to watch. The breakdown especially was vicious. That was an absolutely fantastic piece of play. Ali Price... Just getting in there like a machine and winning the turnover. And then set Hog free, who repaid the favour and passed back to Price to get in for a try. I was actually really impressed. Hogg could have kicked through or tried to step the guy. But no, he drew the defender and made sure Price had the easier finish. Real good work. Uh, it, took, it took Edinburgh to this point to then actually start making some gain line breaking carries. 
uh, but they still lacked accuracy in keeping possession. Which is such a shame to see. Earlier in the season, they were flying very high. Like, they have a good bunch of players there. It is year one on the Cockrell, so I think they can take a lot from their first season. But this performance was, for me anyway, a symbol of their latter half of the season. Not quite flowing properly. Their big game players faded, like Mata wasn't influential enough and Van der Merve especially wasn't influential enough. At the end of the half, it was Glasgow the happier. Edinburgh trying to impose themselves but getting no return. And Hastings, that rip, that's like a try. Cockrell was down on the touchline uh, towards the end of the half. He was, you know, I think he was seeing it flowing away from them. Uh, But Glasgow, you know, slightly let Edinburgh back into it. But like you say, the Hastings rip uh, when the clock turned red was as good as a try. I think half time was needed for Edinburgh. They did come out the stronger in that first 15, 20 minutes of the second half. They were. And even when Edinburgh got back into the game again, Vandermeer got bundled into touch. Um, it was sad to see Hastings sort of mocking him a little bit. We didn't like that when Otoji did it to us, so it was sad to see. But I guess that only shows the passion that Glasgow have and how much this game needed. Local derbies always have that extra bit of niggle in them. Yeah, it's hard to tell, though, if Adam Hastings is grinning at you or whether it's just his gum shield. He seems to have the whitest gum shield in the Pro 14. <laughs> but for all of Edinburgh's possession, like, Glasgow never looked like conceding and they got two tries of good turnover ball. Fagerson almost at Matawalu with his break earlier on in the game and Ali Price creating that final try with a great break and kick but a lot of work had to be done after that. I actually sit down the other end and I was quite looking forward to seeing a lot of Glasgow action in the second half but Edinburgh did put a big shift in and keep um, Glasgow pinned up the other end. So it was sad for him, but they didn't get any more out of it. But that just shows how good Glasgow's defence is. They absorbed a lot off Edinburgh, and then the strain broke, and Matawala got over um, for another try, which is a bittersweet, really, because it seemed to be a bit of a horrible injury to Pergos. He seemed to take a knee to the head, obviously unintentional, but he was just trying to make a tackle. So Mata and Pergos went off injured at that point, and sadly, McAnally, another Scottish great seemed to go up with a serious injury. Yeah, Edinburgh couldn't buy luck as well at some points. And when you get injuries like that, it just ruins the flow of what you're trying to do. Edinburgh did get a consolation try, but that was more individual brilliance than any team effort. And Van der Merwe, one-on-one, he's hard to stop. It's pretty sad to see Edinburgh's season ebb away as it did when they were so strong at the beginning of the season. Now, they beat Glasgow twice this season so we were nervous nobody was taking it for granted but Glasgow got the job done and shut them out very early on and looking forward you have a home semi-final it's going to be one of Ulster Connacht and if Glasgow's work of the breakdown continues like that before you've started you're in a good place yeah I think over the next couple of weeks what Glasgow need to do is actually not change too much and not make too many changes and that's the headache that Dave Rennie's going to have he's going to have people coming back from injury and he's got to think to himself well who do I start do I change too much or do I stick with the guys that have been doing the job and that's going to be quite difficult and if you keep a 91% tackle rate and and keep that strong mall defense going you have very good solid building blocks physically you do need to wind down that penalty count though that's been a chink in Glasgow's armor especially against Edinburgh funny enough but it was very sad to see Edinburgh weren't able to capitalize on that so you know penalties Although they were conceded, didn't hurt us too much. No, they didn't really have any effect on the game. But 
while you weren't doing any monster any favours, they actually didn't do themselves any favours either. They hosted Compton Tolman Park, needing a bonus point just to be secure of top spot in case Glasgow got a draw. But they didn't get the bonus point. They won 27 points to 14. This was a really weird game. A real cagey affair. Lots of niggle for a game that Connacht had very little to play for and Munster just needed a win or a bonus point. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't believe how Munster didn't come out. It took about 24 minutes or something before we got the first try in the game. But I really, really thought Munster would have come out to trust. Although they wanted another team to do them a favour or they re- relied on other results, they still needed to make sure they got the win and a bonus point would have greatly helped them. But it didn't happen. It looked like Connett were the team that had something to play for and their third place was already assured. So I can't really understand Monsters' thinking. I thought they should have come out of the traps. Yeah, and Marmion was instrumental in Connacht's first try. I didn't think we'd be in a situation where Connacht would be leading this game. Like I'll hold my hands up. I didn't think Connacht would win going into this. I saw the team we were putting out. There was 12 changes from the team that beat Cardiff two weeks ago against a full-strength Monster team. Well, minus Murray, who got injured in the warm-up. Yeah, another strange replacement just before kickoff. Did they miss him? I don't know. I think maybe that was their stuttering start. Perhaps they were thinking about how we're going to cover for Murray, but Cronin should have done the job for them. But it was a very, very sleepy start from Munster. A sleepy start is a weird statement when Munster were winning our line out. Connacht were one from three in the opening 20 minutes. But the thing is, they weren't putting phases together. It was very un-Munster-like at times. And when they finally dig over the line, what did Andrew Conway do? Well, I think we'll be coming back to that later on, so we can just mosey on past it for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Munster were started carrying much better from then on. And, well, to be honest, Connacht were living a blessed life. And Conway was then instrumental to to one of Munster's tries when they got around the outside. Exactly. And Connacht started getting to be too compact. Uh, Munster were picking holes in them and he's found them easy to get around. It very much felt like at times was old school junior rugby. If they get around you, that's fine. They've earned the right. Because we were that tight in defence. But worst of all, we were that tight in attack and we were very easy to defend against. Munster were very deserving of the lead at half time, but because we were winning everything, they were winning the collisions, the breakdowns, and Connett didn't seem to be able to make, do any damage at all. In fact, it seemed to be Connett that were making life very, very hard for themselves. But Munster did come out stronger in the second half, but 16 minutes to get on the board is poor. Yeah, and then Bundy was very, very lucky not to get a yellow. So we were looking at earlier on about these knock-ons where yellow cards were given out. This was probably the most obvious deliberate knock-on, but he didn't get a yellow card. It was the worst of the day. Like, it genuinely was the worst one of the day. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I will take it. I am happy we got away with it. But that is something that the Pro 14 ref team will point out in in their review later on because it was just madness. If we're going to be seeing this knock-on being refereed this way, then we're going to need consistency because the opposition are going to start playing the ref on it. So we need to um, make sure that there's consistency across the board. It has to be a very obvious knock-on, i.e. there has to be an action in the hand to move the ball's flight for you to get sin bin. So the definition of deliberate knock-on, I think, really needs to be looked at. Yeah, I know what you mean. But in this game, it was Munster got the only yellow card. Their scrum weren't able to handle Connacht whatsoever. But it was Connacht who looked like they're down to 14 men when Munster scored. McKeown then had a try and he put a sheen on the scoreline, but Munster should have scored more. Connacht, they scrambled a bit and held them out. 
and their decision making and accuracy and attack was very poor. Yeah, Munster did seem to switch off a small bit and we got that little bit of a foothold and we defended to the death and it's small things like that that we can take from this game. Yeah, but Munster then finally had Connor Pay to that that relentless, relentless attack. JJ Hanron and eventually went over. How Munster finished is exactly how I thought they should have started. And I think that's what Munster need to be looking at going forward to their next game. If Carberry's still injured, JJ Hanron for me is a more like for like replacement. So start with Tyre Blyendall might not have been the smartest move, or they were trying to keep JJ fresher for next week. But Munster, they forced errors all the way through the 80 minutes here. Next week, it's going to be Munster against Benetton. And I really, really think Munster need to come out of the traps and be relentless in attack. They cannot play like they played against Connacht. They were lucky that Connacht slightly took their eye off the ball. And I would say that Connacht imploded, but Connacht did not do themselves any, any favours. They can't afford to do this against Benetton because Benetton have got absolutely nothing to lose. They are going to throw everything at this and they're going to throw caution to the wind monster just need to come out and do what monster do yeah and if they keep strong in contact and keep dominating the game line that they might have a bit too much of benetton connacht going forward to next week our mall defense was good some nice individual performances but not a lot of these guys are going to be playing against ulster just like ulster from earlier on there could be completely different 23 named yeah, I think there might be a few selection headaches, but it'll be interesting to see who does survive and who we'll see taking on Ulster next week. Yeah, I think that rounds out the matches pretty handily. I think we'll take a quick look at the league tables. They're finished, 21 games done, and we'll start in Conference A. Glasgow up on top, 81 points, comfortable in the end. Yeah, I think that is the right result. I think I, I said a few weeks ago on, on one of the other forums that I thought that things were going to stay as they were. Glasgow and Munster getting the same amount of wins and losses. So that three-point, now a four-point gap, has been the same for the last couple of rounds. And that's probably how we all expected it to finish. Yeah, Munster uh, second on 77. Connacht had the third secured this week on 61. But the big movement in the table was Ospreys and Cardiff. Ospreys on 58 points and Cardiff on 54. I would not have expected this a couple of weeks ago. No, no. And I think we had a conversation on elsewhere about the fact that I thought Cardiff would have been Connacht and Connacht would have been Cardiff. I would have had Ospreys in the same position, but what a great finish, um, especially for Ospreys. Yeah, Toyota Cheetahs and Zebra prop up the table. 46 points for the Cheetahs, 19 points for Zebra. A really poor season for them. And hopefully next year they can take some of that Benetton magic and bring it with them. Yeah, it's sad to see Zebra finish bottom with only 19 points and three wins. Uh, that's a poor return for a, a long season in Pro 14. Yeah, we'll move to Conference B. Leinster, who've had that top spot sewn up for a couple of weeks, have 76 points. Because they've took their eye off the ball, Glasgow and Munster actually have overtaken them on points on the table. Like I know they pulled it out of the bag in the Champions Cup semi-final, but that type of end-of-season dip isn't something Leinster want to make a habit. Yeah, they need to learn from what happened to Glasgow last year. As Glasgow had their conference secured, with quite a few games to go. And then Scarlet's just came out and made little boys of us. So I hope Leinster have a plan of who they're going to play in these final games. They're still in Europe, so they've still got that to contend with and in a, a in the Heineken Cup final. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this affects Leinster's running. It could be argued that basically the European final should be the very last game of the season, not 
in amongst a run-in for the Pro 14. I would definitely argue that point, and I would be behind that if it ever happened. Ulster were second on 63. That was sewn up last week. Benetton, though, 57 points, third in the table. What a season they had. That's fantastic. It's fantastic for Italian rugby. It's fantastic for the Pro 14. It's fantastic for the setup of the Pro 14. To see a team like Treviso get into the playoffs, absolutely fantastic. Scarlets are on 52 points. They take that fourth spot away from Edinburgh, who are on 51 points. Dragons on 26 points and Kings on 22 points. Next season needs the improvement for them, but that conference, though, didn't seem to be as competitive up until the last couple of weeks as Conference A did. There was more changes in this conference, though, and I'm sad to see Edinburgh's season ebb away, but a relief for Welsh rugby to at least see the two fourth spots to see a Welsh team in some sort of European competition next year. Yeah, dead right. I think that brings us nicely to the second row top performer and clown the round. And we love hearing from everyone who listens. So get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. And as you're my guest, I'm going to let you name the second row top performer, Mark. Who have you gone for? I think I'm going to indulge myself here (laughs) and I'm going to indulge Glasgow fans. I think I'm going to go for Stuart Hogg. He has... A checkered history, to be fair. Sometimes not always known as a team player. He's had his run-ins with coaches, etc. and teammates. But we know he's leaving at the end of the season. But it's been an absolutely fantastic run for Stuart Hogg, watching him be a real team player. So in that game, he had uh, eight runs, 36 metres made, two clean breaks, two try assists, and uh, he beat five defenders. And he could have had a try himself, but his his pass to Tommy Seymour was just... um, team first mode and that's really good to see and what a really really good sort of form to see uh, Stuart Hogley Glasgow Warriors he's been true to his word he said he'd be in there in the mix at the end of the season to hopefully try and get Glasgow to a Pro 14 final he's impressed me so he is my top performer of the round yeah he had a very good game and if it was for one kick that he just hit a bit too far he might have had a chance of a second try other than the one he passed to Seymour I'd like to give a special mention to Anscombe. I think 18 points in a game where he was potentially knocking himself out of Champions Cup rugby was a great performance. And Nick Williams got the man the match on the losing team. I just think with so much speculation about his future and how, how well he'd play, I think he stood up really well. I thought Anscombe was absolutely fantastic. That just shows that the man is a winner. He was winning for the team he was playing for at that time. So, yeah, I, I think he's a close second. I think we'll move on to the clown the round, and I'll pick that. And there are two special mentions for me. Uh, Raquel, like we mentioned earlier on, for the Kings. Lucky not to see red for that stupidly throwing someone into the hoardings. And Jimmy O'Brien for Leinster dropping the ball with a try line of begging I know he had 30-40 metres to run but he was in if he held on to that ball but for me I think there can only be one winner and that is Andrew Conway for not dotting down the ball I could not believe what I was seeing I have to absolutely agree with you that's basic stuff when you're across the whitewash get the ball down and there was three on him I think and was just I just couldn't believe he did it Fitzgerald was the one who got there first and it's amazing to see a former Munster player be the person to knock the ball out of his hands. Tierney O'Halloran is thanking him after throwing the worst intercept pass off the weekend and there were a few. So that's this week's second row top performer Stuart Hogg and the second row clown the round Andrew Conway. 
we've kind of talked about what the teams need to look forward to next week. But Munster will host Benetton in the first of the Pro 14 quarterfinals. This should be a good game. Both teams need to improve. Yeah, definitely. I think they've all got it in there. They look both look slightly nervous or rusty this weekend. But I think Benetton are going to throw absolute caution to win, which for neutrals is going to make it an absolutely fantastic match. It is a fairy tale position that Benetton find themselves in. And why can there not be another upset? Like, Benetton have nothing to lose. Munster will be favourites. The pressure will be completely on them. It's going to be a fascinating game to watch. And after that one finishes, Ulster hosts Connacht and Ravenhill. Both sides will have pretty much fully changed 15s compared to this week. But both teams need to improve. Well, remember last year, Ulster snuck in at the very end and got a place in Europe. I have a funny feeling Connacht are going to do an Ulster on Ulster and just pick the lock and they might just find themselves in a semi. But on this round's performance, I think Ulster might just edge it. Connacht have been Ulster twice this season. I'm hoping we can do three in a row. (laughs) Edinburgh thought that as well against Glasgow. It can be done, but also there's a lot of homework that both sides can do when you face each other that way. That's true. I think that's a great place to leave this week. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Mark, for joining us while Ushin decided to go on the DOS again. Well, thanks very much for having me. I can't believe how, how much hard work this is, uh, especially when you've got a, a wee bit of a hangover from the day before. But I've really enjoyed it. And thanks for having me on. It's great work that you do. It was my pleasure. Uh, thank you again. Me and Oshin will be back next week to review the Pro 14 quarterfinals and see what's in store for the Pro 14 semifinals. So until next week, good luck, take care and thanks again for listening. <laughs>